Um, So our reading today is Matthew 6, 5 to 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And let us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, this month we're spending some time learning how to pray. Uh, I'm not necessarily learning how to pray at meals, although hopefully that would be a nice side effect if that's something that makes you nervous, but learning how to pray in life. Last week, I acknowledged some of the foundational lessons that many of us receive in prayer while also trying to stir up a desire in us to keep growing. So some of the things that I mentioned, uh, just as I reflect back on my own childhood and growing up, that I learned about prayer and that you may have learned about prayer, uh, things like we're all invited to draw near toward God. Prayer can happen anytime and anywhere. And that prayer involves something more than just asking for things. Well, this morning we're going to talk about what we should avoid when we pray and how introducing a little variety into the mix might actually help stimulate some growth. So this morning's reading is found about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of the peak of Jesus' teaching. This is one of the most well-known parts of his teaching found in the New Testament. And there are a lot of good things, a lot of gems that come out of this, things that if you've been around church at all, you'd be familiar with. Sayings like, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, Jesus tells the people who are gathered around him on that hillside. But also some challenging things. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If someone turns to you the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The life Jesus describes seems to be increasingly challenging, building up to a crescendo with the seemingly impossible command in chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect. So he's describing this life and talking about just how challenging it's going to be. But as Jesus launches into the next section of the sermon, there's a subtle change. And much of what he says seems to be saying from that point on focuses on not trying so hard. Here are just a few snippets from the second half of the sermon. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not worry about life. Do not judge It's as if Jesus wants the crowd and us, by extension, to know that sometimes we spend so much effort on the wrong things when what we really need to do is relax and trust in God. And it's this second half of the sermon where we find Jesus' teaching on prayer, not in the section filled with borderline impossible challenges, but in the section where we're presented time and time again with an invitation to stop trying so hard. Chapter 6 begins, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, honestly, I prefer my older translation of the NIV uh, where Jesus puts the, the words acts of righteousness in air quotes. 
It's like he's letting the crowd know, like, your acts of righteousness, because they're not actually righteous. There's nothing special about, about them. They don't impress God, these things that you're doing. And the first example he gives is people who make a show out of giving when they give to the needy. It's like they stand up in front of everyone. They want everyone to know just how much they've donated or just how helpful they've been to this needy person. And Jesus says, yeah, don't do that. And then he gets into the part on prayer, which we had read for us this morning. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, I don't know about you, but I must admit, it's challenging to imagine myself being impressed by that. If I were to see someone standing on a street corner praying out loud, I would not think, wow, I want to be like that person. I'd be like, they have a problem, and maybe I should help them. So, but at the time, this is what people were doing. There was evidently a a practice where people were praying in publicly, and they wanted people to see them. But Jesus says, no, no, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's, It's the same with the giving to the needy. Like, if you want the praise of other people, if you want other people to see how holy you are, well, good, you got your reward. That's all there is for it. But Jesus says, but if you really want God to give you the reward, if you want God to appreciate what you're doing, then then it's something you do in secret, something you do in the hidden place. I think sometimes we do this. Again, I don't think too many people here would be tempted to go out on a street corner and pray out loud so people could see you. But I think sometimes we use uh, what I affectionately refer to as political prayers when we're praying, and, and we're not really talking to God. We're talking to the people in the room. Maybe we want to curry favor with someone in the room, and we're like, God, I just thank you for this person. What a blessing they are. What a wonderful person they are. I thank you for how, how they did this for me and, and how they're just a great person to be around. And really, like, why don't you just stop praying, turn to the person and say, I think you're great. Like, I just, you know, so we do that. Or sometimes they can go in the opposite way. You know, like maybe you're trying to make a point to one of your kids and you're like, God, just convict us for our, you know, being deceitful and help us to do the things we should do in life, like clean our rooms. And, and again, just stop pretending you're praying. Just turn to your kid and say, clean your room, and then you can come down for dessert. Like, anyway. So we do this sometimes. Uh, we have these political prayers. If you're not talking to God about this in secret, then why are you talking to God about it in front of other people? And that's maybe the thing to think about. If the, the way that you're praying in any context around the dinner table in a group of, with people from church or in a small group setting, if the way that you're praying and the things that you're saying in that context are not the same things that you're saying when you're in your room with the door closed alone with God, then there's probably something political about it, if you will. So prayer isn't a performance. It's a conversation, Jesus says, with your Father who is unseen. And when you pray, he continues, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Babbling's a pretty harsh way to describe someone's praying. Uh, But I think the point Jesus was making is that pretentious prayer is not really prayer at all. It's not about how many words you say. It's not even about saying the right words. It has a lot more to do with the heart. But if we're going to be honest this morning, I don't think too many of us here are struggling with praying too much, right? Probably not too many people here are like, man, I just, I just pray all the time, and i got to rein this in somehow. That's probably not the issue. Uh, so thankfully, Jesus gives us a model to help. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, 
for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, Luke's words are slightly different than Matthew's, which we had read earlier, but the spirit is the same, which is why I wanted to hear from both of them this morning. Jesus' point was not for us to repeat these words. And there's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer together, of course. Many of us have done that, and and that can be a meaningful practice. But the point of Jesus teaching his disciples this wasn't memorize these words and say them. The point was to teach them how to pray, that they would learn how to pray. That's what they said. They said, they didn't say, Jesus, teach us a prayer. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so what do we learn through this Lord's Prayer, whether it's Luke or Matthew's version? First, that prayer should start off with our Father in heaven. That's who we're praying to. We're not praying to some distant galactic being. We're not praying to a strict overlord. We're praying to our Father in heaven. So we remind ourselves of that. Our prayer should be focused on God's kingdom and not our own. These words, your will be done, your kingdom come. Our request should be for what we truly need. We should be asking for forgiveness while committing ourselves to offer forgiveness to others as well. We should acknowledge the very real battles that we're in and ask God to help lead us through them. This is what prayer should look like, Jesus is saying. These are the kinds of things that should be included when you pray. Eugene Peterson writes that we want life on our conditions, not on God's conditions. Praying puts us at risk of getting involved in God's conditions. Be slow to pray. Seems a strange thing to say, but... The reality is we're going to pray rightly. If we're going to pray like Jesus taught us to, then we're going to say words like, God, your will, not mine. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Those are dangerous words. So the Lord's Prayer, while a beautiful example of prayer, is not the only way. Now, a week and a half ago, uh, it was exam period for high school students, and so the last couple of days after exams, kids were out of school, and evidently uh, my two youngest children, uh, they decided being bored as they were, that they would rearrange the furniture in our house. So those of you who have been to our house will recognize the differences in this next picture here. But basically what they did is they took all the furniture in our living room and moved it into our dining room, and all of the furniture from our dining room and moved it into the living room, and they just switched everything around. And they just, they wanted to see the re- reaction on everyone's faces when we got home. Um, but we haven't actually changed it. We're kind of like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Now there's some things about this. I mean, one of them is that our little living room is now this cozy little space, and, and I think people are hanging out there more than before because it's like everyone's close to each other, and it's kind of nice. Um, there's no light over the dining room table, so that's a little bit, that's a minor detail. Didn't, you know, work out so well, and then we did have an unfortunate incident with the, the chandelier. It's raised a little higher right now because if you look closely, there's no glass dome under it anymore because let's just say someone's head cracked it, and uh, now we need a new one. So, yeah. Okay, if you want to identify yourself, Jude, you're welcome to do that. I wasn't going to throw you on the bus, but if you throw yourself under, that's fine. So when I was thinking about the, uh, this idea of prayer and how we're going to talk about prayer, I was like, there's an element of what my kids did here that I think I'd like us to, to encourage us to do this morning, which is to try to rearrange a little bit of the furniture of how we think about and how we practice prayer. Uh, if we open ourselves up to some different postures and practices in prayer, we're bound to find some forms that will suit us better, but we'll find some other forms that we could quite do without as well. Uh, each new posture or practice that we encounter will have its pros and it will have its cons. Um, but I want us to ask the question here this morning, how might the main floor of our prayer life benefit from some rearranging? 
So last week, uh, Melissa got a package in the mail. She was momentarily excited, and she opened it and discovered that it was a rosary from some Catholic organization, obviously looking for a donation. They sent her a rosary. Now, if you're not familiar with what this is, it's essentially like a, a kind of a prayer necklace that uh, you, each of the beads represents a different type of prayer in the Catholic Church. And the idea is that you feel your way through the prayer. And I'm not certainly going to be teaching about praying the rosary this morning, but just to, to, it reminded me of the fact that sometimes if we can connect like something physical with how we pray, uh, our posture, that can be a good way to learn to grow in prayer. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to feel your way through a couple of different physical postures in prayer. Um, I'm sure that this will seem strange to some of you, and I'm just going to say don't worry about it. You do not have to do what I ask you to do. You can just sit there. Uh, I came up with this great quote from Brennan Manning. He says, don't force prayer. Simply relax in the presence of the God you half believe in. <laughs> I like it. So if I'm asking you to do something and you're like, yeah, no way, just relax. God's here. It's all good. And we're just going to say right off the top that if the person beside you or in front of you is not doing what I'm saying, uh, don't pass judgment on them because I think Jesus says something about that too. So... I wanted to share an example from a few, uh, a few years ago, and this would be, I think, my first foray into a different posture or practice in prayer. It came, actually, a course that I was taking at, at a seminary uh, uh, that I did this uh, project at the year, end of the year on the idea of continuous prayer. So this is, uh, this is a, like a tiny verse. One of the shortest verses in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, and it's just two words, pray continually. Pray continually. And so when I was doing this assignment, I was like looking into this idea of like, what does that even mean? How can you pray continually? And one of the things that I learned was that uh, there's this, this book that was written, it's like by an anonymous author in the 19th century. It's a story of a pilgrim, it's a Russian author, a story of this Russian pilgrim who sits in church one day and he hears this, them quote this verse. They say, pray continually. And he thought, wait a second, how do you do that? And they said that you should do this, but he's like, but no one taught me how to do that. And so he goes on this pilgrimage, and he goes from person to person and says, how do you do this? And they, they all respond to him and say things like, well, you should do it, or this is what this book says, or this is what this teacher advises. But no one actually teaches him how to pray continually until he finds one group of people, and they say, oh, okay, we'll let you in on the secret to how to do this. And so um, he, uh, he basically is introduced to something known as the Jesus Prayer. Quick show of hands if you've heard of the Jesus Prayer before. All right, so like maybe a dozen or 15 people here. So this is going to be new to a lot of people. The Jesus Prayer is a short prayer um, that is part of the Eastern Orthodox Christian tradition, and it goes this way. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Simple, to the point. The thing that's not simple about it is that in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, you're taught to pray this prayer thousands of times a day. That's right, thousands of times a day. You repeat this short little prayer constantly. And so when I started reading about this, I was like, well, this is a very strange thing. Why would you do that? But the point is that we're, it's, you're trying to get prayer into the little spaces in your life. And so the instruction around this prayer is actually to unite it to your breathing. And so we're going to practice this a little bit together. So you begin the prayer, the first part of the prayer, as you breathe in. So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, as you breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and you breathe out. So I'll say it again and just do the breathing. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Now, when I first hear, was reading about this, I was thinking, well, what's the point of this? What does this do? And I'll guarantee you that it feels very strange and very pointless for a very long time. Until you find yourself, after having said this hundreds and thousands of times over a long period of time, defaulting to this prayer. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, when you find yourself not knowing what to pray for, and the first words that come to your mind are, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That whenever you take a deep breath, you find yourself automatically praying this because you've prayed it so many times with your breathing that every time you go, you think, Lord Jesus Christ, and then you begin to pray, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so this is one of the first forays that I took into learning different postures and practices of prayer. Anthony Bloom, an Orthodox writer, suggested that Jesus' prayer serves as a background, a walking stick through the day and throughout life. He goes on to say that if we use crumbs of wasted time to try to build short moments for recollection and prayer, we may discover that there is quite a lot to it. There's quite a lot of that wasted time in our day. And I think one of the reasons that this type of prayer appealed to me and why it's been a part of my life for a long time now is that the the idea of like sitting in one place and praying for an extended period of time was just really challenging for me. And I thought, I've got to find a way to build prayer into the rhythms of my life all throughout the day. So here's one practice. Um, But there are others, of course. I love this quote from Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish uh, philosopher and theologian. He said, a man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. Now, that's an interesting thought, because I think for most of us, we probably would think, well, prayer is talking, right? Even Jesus said, like, pray, our Father, and you're saying words. But is it possible to pray without talking? Is it possible to, to not say words at all and still pray? Uh, in the 14th century, a Christian mystic by the name of Julian of Norwich, uh, she introduced something known as body prayer. And so I'm going to demonstrate this for you as well today. Actually, why don't we stand up here this morning? And again, if you're not comfortable, you can stay sitting, but you'll probably feel more awkward if you don't stand. So you can just stand and do nothing, which is totally fine. Again, this is not about judgment. Um, but I had this thought as I was preparing. I was like, okay, this whole practice thing is going to be a little awkward, but otherwise it'll be really hard for people to actually go home and do this. So we're going to try this together. So I'm going to talk through this very briefly, but understand that what Julian of Norwich was teaching was that you don't use words or even think words during this prayer. It's just about what your body is doing. And so there are four postures that she introduces. The first is basically standing uh, with your hands extended at the waist, with your hands cupped out in front of you, and the posture is await. And the idea is that you are just waiting to receive the presence of God. So you just stand in a posture like this with your hands held out. And again, you don't need to know what to pray. It's just this, this physical stance of yours is saying something significant to God. The second posture involves reaching your hands up. It's like surrender. It's this idea of like waiting. Like, God, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for your presence to arrive right now. The third posture is called accept, and it involves like cupping your hands over your heart. It's this posture that says, God, I wanna, I'm going to accept whatever you have for me. And so you stand in that posture. And the fourth one is attend, and that involves extending your hands out, a willingness to act on what has been given to you. And so these are postures. And so you may say, like, I don't know how to pray, and I I can't remember ever remembering the words of a prayer, but you could maybe remember a couple of postures. I'll invite you to sit down. Go ahead. Thanks. Um, 
So you might be able to say, okay, I could do these things. I could, I could look up these postures, and, and I could just hold my hands in a certain way. Actually, just a couple of months ago, back in the fall, uh, some of our staff team attended an event as part of this research into this new network of churches we're, we're considering being a part of. Uh, and there was an event where they talked um, similar, kind of maybe modern-day version of Julian Norch's postures, which I'll introduce as well. Um, it's called Infinitum. And basically, the idea was to introduce these other physical postures. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the description of them for you here. The idea is that this, is, this would be a prayer where you're using physical postures, but you're actually saying a prayer. So I'll read an example for you, but again, the point is not to memorize the words of this, but to say something like this as you're praying. So the first one involves the hands up. It's a surrender posture. And so you might pray something like this. I choose to hold my hands as a symbol of, surren- of surrender. My life is not about me. I surrender to your lordship. I surrender my preferences, prejudices, and position to you my fears, finances, friends, family, I surrender it to you. The second posture is one of generosity. It involves open hands. I choose to hold out my hands as symbol of generosity. What I have is not mine. I am only a steward of all that you've given me. I want to mirror the way that you opened your hand to us and have lavished your life and love on us. I want to live an open-handed life in a closed-fist culture. And the third posture is one of mission, hands extended forward. I choose to hold my hands forward as a symbol of mission. I want to live for something greater than me. I want to embrace your kingdom mission. I want to embrace your mission and welcome your mission to the lost, last, least, and lonely, to the poor, the powerless, the privileged, and the persecuted. N.T. Wright says that all prayer stands with hands outstretched, one to embrace the loving God and the other to embrace the needy world. And so... For myself, after I uh, was introduced to these postures, I thought, well, this is something that I could kind of do in the morning. And so when I kind of stumble down the stairs and the house is dark and empty, uh, I could actually just stand there in my kitchen and just hold my hands in these different postures and not memorize words, but actually to say, like, God, like, I want to be generous with my day. Help me to, like, pay attention to what's coming out there in front of me today. I want to be involved in your mission. Help me not to think about all myself today. Help me to be attentive to who else is in front of me. Um, Just to use these postures as a reminder to help teach us how we might pray. The first time I tried these postures, I was actually reminded of the ways that I use my hands in worship, which uh, thanks in no small part to my years spent in a Pentecostal church, uh, where the, when the first strum of the guitar happens, everyone's hands go in the air. Um, and, but the idea was that we use our bodies in uh, in prayer and in worship. And you may notice that in some of the people around you, uh, even this morning, you may have been wondering, why does that person have their hands raised out? And, but it's a similar kind of thing that we're talking about in prayer. And that would be something that certainly you're invited to do as part of our worship here when we do this corporately, is to use your hands as a way of connecting what your heart is trying to say um, to God and your spirit. And this is not just some new thing. You may think, oh, where does this come from? Is this kind of stuff in the Bible? Well, Moses, we're told, prayed with his arms outstretched. Abraham fell on his face before God. King Solomon knelt in prayer. Jesus prayed, looking up to heaven. So all these kinds of examples about how different people of faith would use their bodies to help mirror what was going on inside. So let me just ask you a question here again. Um, a little different this morning, but when you think about these postures that I've just talked about, how might they affect your praying? So let's picture Moses with his hands outstretched. If you were to pray with your hands out like that, how might that affect your praying? Just throw your hand up if you have an example or something for me. So if you were to pray like with your hands out like that, what, what might it do to your mind? What might it make you think of? God is the giver, okay? Being open, opening your mind. All right, so now let's think about 
um, Abraham falling on his face before God. If you were to pray laying down flat on the ground with your face to the ground, like what would that, how would that impact your praying? What do you think? Sorry? Humility? Kind of an obvious one, yes. Okay, so then Solomon, we're told, uh, spent some time kneeling in prayer. Well, we can do that one here because Lutherans have little kneelers. So why don't you pull down the kneeling bench in front of you and kneel on the kneeling bench. That's what those are for. You thought they were for short kids to see the screen? No. They're to kneel on when you pray. Hmm. We're allowed to use them. The Lutherans, they haven't like banned us from using them. They say, like, go for it. If you want to kneel, kneel. It's all good. Okay, so you're kneeling. What is kneeling in prayer? How does that affect maybe how you pray? Any ideas? So King Solomon, a king, was kneeling. All right, any other ideas? What is kneeling? What happens when you kneel in prayer? You see, God is holy. One of the things that I always think about when I would kneel in prayer is that it's uncomfortable. It's a little unsettling. This isn't normal. I don't kneel. And so it kind of unsettles you a little. I like that. All right, you can grab your seats or stay kneeling <laughs> if you like being uncomfortable. Jesus prayed looking up to heaven. Like what happens when you pray with your face lifted up? All of these things can affect us. And so I wanted to kind of just introduce a little bit this morning just some of the ways that our physical posture can be connected to our praying. There are a couple of examples that we're going to actually walk through as a community uh, in the next few months. And one of them we've done before. Uh, every, week, every year during Holy Week, we have a Stations of the Cross set up in the gym. And so this is a picture from maybe last year's stations where you actually walk through, uh, I should know this, probably a dozen different stations that walk through like as a Jesus kind of path leading up to his crucifixion. And at each one, there are kind of t- um, physical things that you might touch or feel, or you put your hands in um, and, that help us think about how we should be praying leading up to the celebration, to the obs- observation of Good Friday and the celebration of Easter. So we'll be doing that again in April. In March, we're going to be actually having a different kind of experience. There's an organization that is going around to different churches in the area setting up a prayer labyrinth. Has anyone here walked a prayer labyrinth before? Quick show of hands. So again, maybe 15, 20 people here. So this would be a new opportunity. So in the, sometime in March, we'll announce it when it gets a little closer. Uh, so a labyrinth, this is a prayer labyrinth at a, a retreat center that I've spent some time out uh, time out before. And the idea of a labyrinth is that you just follow a little path on the floor. And again, like some of these other things, you might think, well, what's the value of this? But the idea, again, is that it's a bit of a, it's a short physical journey that symbolizes your spiritual journey. And so you're following these paths and they're winding in and out of each other and you don't know the way to the end. And there is a, there's only kind of one path for you to follow. There's only one life that you can live. And, and it's this idea of like weaving in and out and, and just kind of being present to God in the midst of that. So some of these practices and postures we can just do on our own in the kitchen in the morning. Some of them we can do right here in the midst of a worship service together as a community. And others, we need special uh, things set up around us that we can do either in individually or collectively, to help us uh, learn how to pray. The idea is that you don't have to pray in a certain physical position, but different postures can help to give expression to what's going on in our hearts. And that's really one of the most, uh, the significant things I want to say this morning, that we should be willing to maybe try some different positions or postures in order to help us connect and bring some life to our prayer. So I want to close this morning um, with a reading from 
uh, a poem. It's a book-length poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, uh, Aurora Lee. And when I read it through this, uh, this, this little piece that she, uh, observation of prayer, I thought was beautiful, and I wanted to read this for you. So the context is that she is walking through a rough part of town, and she sees some people who are really down on their luck. I sat there musing and imagining such utterance from such faces, poor blind souls that writhe toward heaven along the devil's trail. Who knows, I thought, but he may stretch his hand and pick them up, tis written in the book. He heareth the young ravens when they cry, and yet they cry for carrion. Oh, my God, and we who make excuses for the rest, we do it in our measure. Then I knelt and dropped my head upon the pavement too and prayed, since I was foolish in desire, like other creatures craving awful food, that he would stop his ears to what I said and only listen to the run and beat of this poor, passionate, helpless blood. And then I lay and spoke not, but he heard in heaven. I love it. There's so much that we could actually learn about prayer from this little passage, but two things I want to point out that stood out to me. The first was that the best prayer of all may be to ask God to stop listening to what we say. Because so much of our prayers are like, she says, like ravens calling after roadkill. Like, we don't even know what we want. There's this great verse from Ecclesiastes 5. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Right? So there's this reminder that maybe the best thing for us to do would be just to say, God, just don't listen to anything I'm saying here. And then there's this beautiful image. She kind of lays her head down. And then I lay and spoke not, but he heard in heaven. And so the prayer that is answered may end up being the one that we never actually speak out loud, but the one is just running through our whole being, and we don't know how to put it into words, but we just stand or sit or kneel or lie in God's presence and trust that God listens to us. That like a mother who is attuned to the every need of her child, God is present and hears us and responds. And so, uh, with the words of Henry now, and I'll wrap up here this morning, I am praying while not knowing how to pray. And that's really the invitation. Everything we talk about this month, we want to learn how to pray. We want to grow in our prayer. But at the end of the day, the goal is to do it, even if we don't know how to do it. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a song in response this morning to close our time together. A reminder that at the end of every service, we have members of our pastoral care team in the corner to, to pray with people. And if you would like someone to pray with you, you're welcome to join them up here at the front any week. Lord, even as we're still very much in the midst of learning how to pray, we pray. We come to you as our Father in heaven, and we ask that you would help us to learn how to orient our lives around you, how to build on this connection and communion that we are beginning to have with you. I ask that you would remind us throughout the day and the week that you invite us to come near. And so, God, we pray that you would be with us as we leave from this place, as those of us who stay to gather around discussion, we pray that your spirit would continue to inspire and encourage us in that. In Christ's name, we give thanks. Amen.